Um, okay, so we're talking about Obadiah. What comes to your mind when you hear the word Obadiah? It's the last book of the Old Testament. No, that's Malachi. It's before Jonah, that's what I think. Obadiah, Jonah. Yeah, I, I, you know, I do not know the Malachi. order of the No, it is, it is, it is. It rhymes with Malachi, so it's, the, yeah, I, I have to sing the song. It's the, it's the, it's the next to last. There's a song that I never learned. My, I put the hole in my Sunday school. I don't know the books of the Old Testament. I don't know them in order. Yeah, it's, it's shameful. I mean, I just flipped through. Have you heard him sing? Don't ask him. What? He's a great singer. Which raises a question. Is it even necessary to know the books of the Bible in order now? Because yes. you have it on your phone. I mean, you just scroll and yes. go right to it. You need to know. We don't need the paper Bibles. Or yes. We don't need to know the alphabet anymore because you don't have to look anything up in a dictionary. You just talk to your phone and say, what does this mean? A lot of things we don't need to know anymore. Um, okay, anything else come to mind when you hear Obadiah? My husband had a sermon on Obadiah. Oh, yeah? All right. And what was... What was the point of it? Yeah. Yeah, what you. No, I'm asking you. I'm asking you. <laughs> that was so many. That was. Let's say we've been married 56 years. That's when he preached it. And you don't remember. No. You just remember that he did a sermon on it. Do you remember your point? <laughs> I'm waiting to hear. <laughs> well, we're gonna. We're going to keep that a secret, but we're going to reveal at the end to see how it matches up. Yeah, he's lost his voice. Oh, okay. Well, we can sign it. Okay, we're going to start with a video. I think it's four minutes. This gets everybody up to speed on Obadiah so that we don't have to... It's the shortest book in the Bible. I just learned that. I didn't know that. It's, it's, shortest book. It's it's even shorter than like the third John, John or something. John. In the Old Testament, it's the shortest in the Old Testament. Oh, just the Old Testament. Uh, I stand corrected, and it's not as exciting now. <laughs> All right, let's see if this works. There might be an ad. The book of the prophet Obadiah, this is the shortest book in the whole Old Testament, the mere 21 verses. And at first glance, it does not look very promising. It's a series of divine judgment poems against the ancient people of Edom, which was a nation that neighbored Israel on the other side of the Dead Sea. However, there is way, way more going on here. So, first, here's the backstory. The people of Edom were unique because they had a shared ancestry with the Israelites. They both belonged to the family of Abraham, who, with Sarah, had their son Isaac, who, with his wife Rebekah, had two sons, Jacob and Esau. Now, the book of Genesis told us the story of these two brothers, and to say the very least, they had a tense relationship. They each later received the names Israel and Edom, which eventually became the name of the families that descended from them. And these families replayed the same difficult relationship of their ancestors. Israel and Edom had enormous tensions throughout the centuries, but they still shared that family bond. And it's that bond that was betrayed and shattered in the tragic events of Jerusalem's fall to Babylon. So when Israel was invaded and conquered by Babylon, the people of Edom took advantage by plundering other Israelite cities and then capturing and even killing Israelite refugees. Now in other prophetic books, God held Israel's neighbors accountable for this kind of violence. And so here, Obadiah does the same for Edom. 
The short book has two halves. The first part is a series of accusations against the leaders of Edom, specifically for their pride and self-exaltation. Literally, as they lived up high in the desert rocks, but also metaphorically, they truly believed they were superior to the Israelites. And it's that pride that led the Edomites to not just stand idly by when Babylon came to destroy Jerusalem, but actually to participate in the destruction. And so God says through Obadiah that Edom will be brought down from their height and destroyed. As they have done to Israel, so it will be done to them. Now right when you think you're going to hear more about how Edom will meet its doom, the topic suddenly shifts in verse 15. We hear this, the day of the Lord is near against all nations. Now why do we all of a sudden shift from Edom now to all nations? This first is a hinge piece, and it links the first half of the book to the second half, where Obadiah announces the day of the Lord, but not only for Edom, he widens his focus to include all nations. And Obadiah says that all prideful nations that act like Edom will face God's justice in the same way. They'll fall from their prideful heights and come to ruin. Now, the combination of these two sections, one about Edom, the other about all nations, shows us why Obadiah was so interested in this tiny southern neighbor of Israel. Obadiah sees Edom's pride and fall as an example, an image, of how God will one day confront the pride of all nations and bring about their fall, too. It's hardly coincidental that in Hebrew, the word Edom, or Edom, is spelled with the exact same letters as the word humanity, or in Hebrew, Adam. In Obadiah, Edom's rise and fall is a parable of how God's justice will one day oppose pride and violence among all nations in the day of the Lord. But as in all the prophets, God's judgment is never his final word. Specifically, remember the conclusion of the two books that came right before Obadiah, Joel and Amos. Joel had painted a picture of what will happen after the day of the Lord against all nations. He said that God would perform a new act of salvation in Jerusalem, and that all who humbled themselves and called upon him would be delivered. And in the conclusion of Amos, he said that after the day of the Lord has judged Israel's evil, God would raise up the house of David and build a new kingdom for Israel that would include Edom and all the nations called by my name. And so the book of Obadiah has been placed right after Joel and then Amos to expand on these very promises about the hope of God's kingdom over all of the nations. And so the book concludes with a very hopeful future. God says he's going to restore his kingdom over the new Jerusalem, that he'll repopulate it with a faithful remnant. And then from there, God's kingdom will expand to include all the territory and nations around Israel. And so, this little book contributes to the larger portrait of God's justice and faithfulness that we're seeing in the prophets. The ancient pride and betrayal of the people of Edom becomes an example of the greater human condition, all of the ways that we betray and hurt each other and God's good world. But there's hope, Obadiah says. Edom's downfall points to the day when God will deal with evil in our world, but also bring his healing kingdom of peace over all the nations. And that's what the book of Obadiah is all about. Wow. Dismissed. <laughs> yeah. That was Gail's sermon in a nutshell. I bet your sermon was longer. I never realized that Adam yeah. and Edom yeah. were just pointed differently. Yeah. We're we're gonna that's amazing. We're gonna talk about that because wow. I've got chills thinking about that. <laughs> well, there's not, I guess there's not much difference between being 
a human or humanity and then being a nation. Yeah. So the word, so in Hebrew, there's there's no vowels, which yeah. is a crazy way to construct a language. <laughs> <laughs> All consonants. There are vowels implied, and at some point, the Masoretic scribe, there's a set of scribes that developed a vowel pointing system. So they went back on an all-consonant text and put little dots under and over to tell people, here's what I think, here's what we think this word means in context. But that allows for people to come back and say, well, if we change those vowels, it goes from Adam to Edom. Now, Edom means red. Adam means humanity. So we're going to get... Uh, when we get to Acts 15, where this comes in, you anybody here a Gentile? <laughs> you owe your existence in this church to Acts 15 and how they debated whether Gentile... Well, I guess you could still be in here. You just have to be keeping the law. In certain ways. So be thankful that if you like um, shellfish, that uh, we have Acts 15. <laughs> <laughs> and bacon, yes. Okay. Uh, let's see. How do I get out of this? It's going to start again. Okay. So, let's go pick up some of these details. Uh, so, Edom. Um, if you can see on this map, um, south east of Israel... Um, and see that star as Petra? Mm. Has anybody ever been to Petra? Mm -hmm. So Wendy and I went a couple years ago, so I put my photos oh, in here. Unbelievable. Okay, not just to show that we went there, but um, <laughs> and to brag a little bit. It's red. The rock is red. Mm. They carved all these things into the cliffs. This is the scene from Indiana Jones' Last Crusade. Mm. Uh, that's where they filmed. So, and to get into where they did that, you had to go. Th you have to go through really narrow, winding passageways. Let me see if. All right. So there's. Uh, they wow. carved it right into the, the hill. That's crazy. Um, there's the little passageway. To before you get in there, this is in the uh, Jordan, modern day Jordan. Is that right? I think mm -hmm. so. Yeah. yeah. And. There you go. You can ride horses oh, into that. So, so yeah, just like the photos. <laughs> Same colors. So wow, that's uh, that's cool. I get to you know we get a slideshow of vacation. Today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> I could have. I was very selective. <laughs> okay, so um, Edom is a nation that that resulted from Esau. So we're going to go back to Jacob and Esau. I had not read that story in probably years, frankly. And reading it this time, it just, man, it sticks out to me. And one of the questions I want, want us to think about as we read back the genesis of this, um, well, let's just do it first, and then I'll ask the question. But um, All right, so... We've got Abraham, Ishmael, Jacob, and Esau. So, Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer, and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. 
the babies jostled each other within her. Does anybody here have twins? No, that sounds terrible. <laughs> <laughs> they're fighting before they're even born. And you know how in the ancient world, if you do that, I mean, there's all these, they think that's all indicative of what you're going to be like as, a, as an adult. Um, so she went to inquire of the Lord. Not so sure exactly what that meant. Maybe she prayed and or talked to someone who has a prophet. I don't know. The Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other, and the older will serve the younger. Now that's the big deal in the ancient world, because primogeniture, or the birth order, was how you did inheritance and everything. And doesn't God do this several times in, in the Old Testament? Works through the younger, like Joseph, and uh, kind of flips the culture on its head. I think there may be something about the way God works through people you would least expect sometimes, or in this case, chooses before they're even born um, to work through one and not the other. Um, so when the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red. His whole body was like a hairy garment. <laughs> so they named him Esau. Esau means hairy. <laughs> they named him Harry. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> okay. <laughs> After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob, which means one who grasps a heel in the sense of the idiom was of the day is to trip somebody. He's a tripper. He's a deceiver. Aptly named. Yes, and I think that thing I learned about Oh, what a tangled web we weave when first we practice to deceive. You ever heard that? Mm -hmm. That's based on Jacob's life. Because he deceives, and then he gets deceived, like he gets Leah instead of Rachel, and then there's some other times, I think, where he is deceived. Yeah, his, his father-in-law yeah. takes, okay, we'll divide the flocks, and then his yeah. flock grows, and his father-in-law yeah. says, no, nah, we gotta, we got to swap yeah. this back, and... Yeah. yeah, he does some crazy reading <laughs> techniques. Yep. Um, okay, so a lot of things about names being significant for... Um, Isaac was 60 years old when Rebecca gave birth to them. The boys grew up. Esau became a skillful hunter. Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac had a taste for a wild game, loved Esau, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Um, hmm. Doesn't Isaac, so, this is a side issue, but Isaac, Rebecca was like chosen for Isaac. Because like Abraham's servant went and prayed, whoever offers to water the camels, mm -hmm. let that be the one. And he got a divine signal that she was the one. I always thought, well, if God picks your wife, surely there's no conflict in that marriage. <laughs> Guess what? There, there's still conflict, even if God chooses your spouse. <laughs> um, okay. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why it's also called Edom, which means red. Jacob replied, first, sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die. What good's a birthright to me? Can you imagine? 
How hungry? Must be some good stew. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Is he starved? Has he not eaten his whole life? <laughs> I guess he didn't catch anything, and so he's like, man, I gotta go back out and catch my meal, or maybe because he knows his mom's not gonna give him any because he's she doesn't like him. I don't know. There's something going on here. Well, he's an example. Esau is a classic, and he's even mentioned in the New Testament, I think, if I remember this correctly. Somebody who, yeah, I forget what book it's in. Is it Hebrews? I don't know. Don't be like Esau and sell your birthright on the, you know, just give up, you know, stay steadfast, you can endure, something like that. Jacob said, swear to me first, so he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew, he ate and drank, then got up and uh, saw Jacob doing cartwheels. I know, <laughs> yay, I got the birthright. I mean, how, how do you think he felt after he ate that meat? Like, there are times when I've been hungry and I eat a, more than I should, and I'm like, I've gone from satisfied to to uncomfortable. <laughs> um, the regret, you know, you have that moment of regret. I can't imagine the regret. So Esau despised his birthright. Okay, so that's the first time he cheated Esau. And then in chapter 27... Um, Isaac was old, his eyes were weak, so that he could no longer see. He called for Esau, my son. I'm now an old man. Don't know the name of the get your equipment. Go to the country, hunt some wild game, prepare me the kind of tasty food. And that word tasty food is used so many times. The narrator puts an emphasis on the tasty food. Maybe that's a callback to the, the tasty food that Esau wants. I mean, this is going to be the downfall of both Esau and Isaac in some ways. So I may give you my blessing before I die. Rebecca was listening as Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau left, she says, Jacob, look, uh, here's what's going to happen. So bring me two young goats. I'll prepare some tasty food for your father just the way he likes it. Take it to your father to eat so he may give you his blessing. But my brother Esau's hairy and I have smooth skin. What if he touches me? Let the curse fall on me. Do what I say. Go and get them for me. So she prepared the tasty food. She took the best clothes of Esau, put them on her younger son Jacob, covered his hands and the smooth part of his neck with the goat skins. How hairy was Esau? <laughs> I always thought he must have been really hairy if I heard from an animal. <laughs> goat skin is a, can be kind of have that wiry hair. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But man, he's a hairy dude. Uh, but if you've been to the beach, there are people like this. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> um, he went to his father and said, My father, yes, my son, who is it? Jacob says, I am Esau. Your first. I mean, I wonder if he tried to change his voice even a little. I've done as you told me. Set up and eat some of my games so that you may give me your blessing. How'd you find it so quickly? He blames God. I mean, he uses God in a lie. I don't even know if I'm that bold, but man, it's a good way to lie because they're not gonna they're gonna be like surely you wouldn't use God in a lie, so I'm more likely to believe. I don't know. The Lord gave me success. So Isaac said, Jacob, come near so I can touch you, my son, to know whether you really are my son Esau or not. So he he's on to him. So he touched him, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. Did not recognize it for his hands were hairy like those of his brother Esau, so he perceived the blessing. Are you really my son Esau? I am, 
So bring me your game to eat. You brought him, he ate, drank some wine, um, smelled his clothes, and blessed him. All oh, the smell of my son is like the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you heaven's dew and earth's richness and abundance of grain and new wine. May nations serve you and peoples bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may the sons of your mother bow down to you. May those who curse you be cursed and those who bless you be blessed. So scarcely had Jacob left when Esau came in, prepared some tasty food, brought it to his father. Uh, who are you? I'm your son. Who was it then that just just was in here, and I blessed him, and he will be blessed. Um, Esau burst out with a loud and bitter cry, Bless me too. Your brother came deceitfully and took your blessing. Isn't he rightly named Jacob? This is the second time he has taken advantage of me. He took my birthright, and now he's taking my blessing. Haven't you reserved any blessing for me? I've made him lord over you and have made all his relatives his servants, and I have sustained him with grain and new wine. What can I possibly do for you? Esau said, Do you only have one blessing? Bless me too. He wept aloud. His father answered him, Your dwelling will be away from the earth's richness, away from the dew of heaven above. You will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you will throw his yoke from off your neck. It's not all bad. Pretty bad. (laughs) And it's, you know, one of the things about Petra is how they manage. It's a desert, but they developed these cisterns all around there that funneled the water through the rocks into the city of Petra. They had fountains. It's amazing uh, that they figured out how to live away from the, the dew. Esau held a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing. <laughs> duh. Because of the blessing his father given him, he said to himself, the days of mourning for my father knew, then I will kill Jacob. And then Rebekah says, your brother is planning to kill you, go to Laban. Um, why shall I lose both of you in one day? So uh, she sends Jacob off, and we know the story. Um, eventually, Jacob comes back and tries to soften Esau up. He, when he's, he knows he's getting near Esau, he sends him all these gifts and everything. He says, maybe this will... But Esau forgives Jacob in the story. So this was my question is as I read this story and you know you think about like what Obadiah was talking about the history between Edom and Israel how do you understand this? Is this like because I know biblical history isn't modern history it doesn't keep the same rules that we would use and sometimes we read it as this is exactly how this must have happened but when you see that it kind of is for shadowing things going on at the time, it just makes me wonder, you know, like, the thing that makes me think so something really happened, though, is that Esau does forgive Jacob. It was just totally bad about Esau, and it's just like what you would write about an enemy. Let's write a story about how our enemies, you know, was really hairy when he was born, and blah, 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 and just kind of make it up. So do you see it as more, when Genesis is written at a later time and they're kind of just putting things back there or are the things back there really happening that lead to because does does it matter that your your forebears were a certain way does that make you that way you know what I'm saying Mike what were you going to say no I, I well I, you know we, we 
we still see some of these cultural differences creating conflict like that. And yeah. whether or not you map it back to some disagreement that happened three, four hundred years ago, you, you you kind of know that okay, go, they're not they're not us. Yeah. Right. They're not us. Mm -hmm. And so in this case, it could have been simple jealousy. You know, hey, they, they live over in the great neighborhood. And look, we're living out in a stinking desert. We gotta collect water yeah. uh, just to survive. Yeah, yeah. If, if something bad's gonna happen to them, good. Yeah. Just yeah. selfish scarcity mentality. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I can see that. Yeah. That's good. Yeah. I have a question for you, uh, since you're the teacher. Okay. <laughs> I know that you're. Aren't you not the chair of the... I used to be. I'm no longer the chair, so... You that up. Does that make you want to change your question? No. <laughs> <laughs> Here's the question. This is an interesting story. And uh, how, what kind of God is it that can take such a family as that whose relationships are based on deception, basically, yeah. who are out to get each other, you got the wife worrying against the husband and plotting against them, and maybe maybe that's not you. I don't know, but you know it's really not a good situation. What kind of God can take that and make it come out right, and make that a part of His overall plan? What kind of God is that? An omnipotent, omniscient God would take to to work that out. Um, God works through imperfect people. I mean, that's what the Old Testament is for, and even the New Testament. Is that the hope we have? Yes. What other choice does God have? Is He going to wait for somebody perfect to work through? Then you're not going to ever get anything done. <laughs> so, of course, there was that one person. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good setup. I didn't even intentionally leave there. Yeah. There was Jesus. one person. <laughs> guy who comes along as a fulfillment of this is the way it should have been, it could have been uh, all along. Um, yeah, I was thinking of something else in response to you, but well, I can't think of it. It kind of, again, those the cultural differences, even, even in verse 46 there, you know, Rebecca uses that as an excuse to send Jacob away. Yeah. I'm sick and tired of living with these Hittite people. Yeah, he saw married Hittite women. There you go. So, she didn't want Jacob to marry some of those Hittite women. So. Yeah, and so even she uses that as an excuse. But probably, even though her reasoning might be faulty, the the like in the Old Testament, you want to keep, you want to marry within the family. The Jewish line. The, right? Yeah, the line of the people that, that have the revelation from God, not these foreigners, which tend to take you away. So even though she's using that, it's, you know, that's how God can use even deceptive deception for its purposes. Um, yeah, I remember now where I was going to go with this. So, in Romans chapter 9, um, well, let me see if I have this. I think I looked at it on my phone, so I don't have it here, but let's get it. Um, do you remember the phrase, um, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated? 
That's actually comes from. Did you do that, Prophet? Which one was it? No. I can't remember. We'll, we'll figure it out. Um, let's see, Romans 9. Which some people say is a difficult chapter, but I think I've got it figured out. <laughs> Which means I probably don't. <laughs> um, so, so in Romans, Paul's saying justification by faith through what Jesus has done on the cross means we no longer have Jew and Gentile. Now we have Jews and Gentiles in the same church, and the Gentiles don't have to keep the law. So there's a, Jesus is like the new law that binds us all together, and he was getting some pushback on that from the Jews. And in Romans 9-11, through 11, he's saying... So, so some people read Romans 9-11 through 11 as individual salvation, like God chooses some people to be saved and other people he doesn't. And they point to Jacob and Esau, like before they were even born, he chose Jacob. So it doesn't really matter what you do, you have to be chosen by God. But the, but the way I read this is he's saying God can choose however he wants to, to make his plan work out. So don't be upset that Jewish identity now is watered down because the Gentiles can be here without keeping the law. Because this, this is God and God can do it however he wants to do it. Um, that's the way I read it. So it's not about salvation as much as it, as your role in the salvation history. Um, but I know there's disagreement on that. But um, For not all who are descended from Israel are Israel, nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children. Uh, on the contrary, it's through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. So Abraham had Ishmael too, but they didn't. he didn't use Ishmael. He used Isaac. Um it's not the children by physical descent who are God's children, but it's the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Um, Rebecca's children were conceived at the same time by our father Isaac, yet before the twins were born or had done anything good or bad in order that God's purpose and election might stand, not by works, but by him who calls. She was told the older will serve the younger, just as it is written, Jacob I love, but Esau I hated. Oh, You're right. Sorry. I thought it was Nehemiah or something. Um... Malachi. Okay. Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. So, yeah, some people read this as about salvation, but I, I think it's, it seems clear to me that he's saying God can use people however God wants to use them. He chose to use the younger, and this love-hated language is just hyperbolic about, you know, it doesn't literally mean God hated Esau, I don't think. Uh, it means he's, he chose to use because, he, because he's God and he can do it how he wants. Um, Jacob. And he chose to use the whole story of Israel to lead to Jesus, which now the Gentiles get to come in through faith, not keeping the works of the law. And that's the way God planned it. And now I know you Jews are like, well, what about us? And he's like, well, you... you did a good thing, we're, but we're, we're fulfilled now, and now the Gentiles can come in uh, without keeping the law. All right. Any comments or questions or reputations on that? To talk about a little, you know, somebody said one time in, in Bible study, you know, talk about one thing, you got to talk about everything. <laughs> 
it's like you want to talk about one story, but it just leads to everything else. Um, it's almost like it was planned that way or something. Okay, Obadiah uh, 3 and 4. Well, let's just, we can read the whole thing. It's the shortest book. Come on. Okay. Um, so I want to pause when we get to a certain place. But. The vision of Obadiah, this is what the Sovereign Lord says about Edom. We have heard a message from the Lord. An envoy was sent to the nations to say, Rise, let us go against her for battle. See, I will make you small among the nations. You will be utterly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. You live in the clefts of the rocks. Make your home on the heights. You say to yourself, Who can bring me down to the ground? Though you soar like the eagle and make your nest among the stars, from there I will bring you down, declares the Lord. If thieves came to you, if robbers in the night, oh, what disaster awaits you? Would they not steal only as much as they wanted? If grape pickers came, they would leave a few grapes. But Esau will be ransacked, his hidden treasures pillaged. All your allies will force you to the border. Your friends will deceive and overpower you. Those who eat your bread will set a trap for you, but you will not detect it. In that day, declares the Lord, will I not destroy the wise men of Edom, those of understanding in the mountains of Esau, your warriors, Teman, that's another place within Edom, it's another term for them, will be terrified, and everyone in Esau's mountains will be cut down in the slaughter. Because of the violence against your brother Jacob, you will be covered with shame, you will be destroyed forever. On the day you stand aloof, while strangers carried off his wealth, and foreigners entered his gates and cast lots for Jerusalem, you were like one of them. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. You should not march through the gates of my people in the day of their disaster, nor gloat over them in their calamity in the day of their disaster, nor seize their wealth in the day of their disaster. You should not wait in the crossroads to cut down their fugitives, nor hand over their survivors in the day of trouble. Let's pause there. So this is pretty negative about Edom, mm -hmm. um, but what sticks out to you? What, anything? Seems like there's going to be trouble. Yeah. And yet God is not going to give up on His people, and He's saying to Edom, "They're still my people." Don't you go against them because mm -hmm. this is this is my choice. Yeah. And it seems to me we try to say, well, what does that mean today? I mean, where where does that fit in? Yeah. Um, there could be travail for us, probably is, and maybe more, who who knows? But if we really believe that God has a plan, even though we may not understand it, and if that plan has been coming down all these years and it has been fulfilled step by step, mm -hmm. then there ought to be some comfort that we can have whenever we need it. Mm -hmm. But the other side of that is, puts a little pressure on us. He's expecting us to go along with his plan. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that may not be easy. Uh, sometimes we may face some situations we don't want. But he has put the situation together. It's almost like, really, you're all I got. Mm -hmm. and, I, and I want to use you I want you to be willing to go on yeah. my plan and, and take it from here and like you said earlier one of the lessons we learn is that God can use mm -hmm. even our feeble efforts or even our mistakes God can use it so that's, that's reassuring for sure yeah yeah the passage you have highlighted there in yeah. 3 and 4 
it really kind of reminds me of the Magnificat and yeah. Luke 1. You know, this idea of bringing the powerful down from their throne and exalting the lowly. And so the way that it's kind of using height and altitude to kind of talk about this yeah. upturning that's going on. Yeah. I highlighted that because I think this applies to any nation, not just Edom. Mm-hmm. I mean, when I read this, I'm like, okay, America is the hope of the world. Uh, is what every president says in their inauguration. <laughs> I mean, every single one, Democrat and Republican, they all say that. And and that and you know Lee Campus pointed this out. He's like, that's black. you know why aren't the Christians saying you can't say that? Yeah. Yeah. Why? How can we just like yeah that's right. America's a hope. Now, that being said, I want to say America's done a lot of great things for some people, uh, and I'm proud to be an American <laughs> because I'm a patriot. But I'm not a nationalist, if I can make that distinction. And I do read in this, uh, we need to be humble about, number one, what we can do and what we have done. And, and you know, not just America right or wrong. Um, at the same time, you know, I'm glad to be in a nation that we have freedoms. And, and I think there's a lot of things we can, our experiment can teach the world. Um, so I just kind of, I'm, as you can tell, I'm conflicted, but, uh, yeah, but there's, we need to be careful about thinking of being prideful about our status. Did that hit anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, that does strike a chord with me too. And I was feeling pretty prideful last Sunday. I was told that, um, Susanna Ophir, you know, she studies French. She's been over there a lot everything and oh she works at the French Embassy in Washington and it it just she doesn't she hardly knows how to respond when the French say, We think it's so cute that the US thinks that they won World War Two. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Why do you, you know, why do Americans think that they won the war? History? Yeah. <laughs> so evidently the French think that they won World War II. Well, and I so then I start trying to think of it from their perspective. And then I feel I start not haughty, but I started feeling very probably heck no. Why why on earth would you think that? No. We did it, we're better, you know, why <laughs> You yeah, owe your we existence to us. Tails. You owe us. Right. Um, by us I don't mean myself because I didn't do anything. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, yeah, so, yeah. I don't think all the French, I mean, there's all those cemeteries in, in Normandy, right. and there's, there's a, a lot, lot of, of things. And, and you have Americans over there. Yeah, and the I, consensus at the embassy, anyway, is that the French won World War II. <laughs> <laughs> um, I heard they surrendered at a fireworks show. No, <laughs> it made me feel very, I guess, it These made that American pride. You know, I became full of American pride and um, hopefully not haughtiness. But we, we as, okay, Americans and Texans have mm. pride. Tennessee does too, more and more, as we have more people from other places moving in. Um, we're natives. Yeah. Tennessee, you know. Um, How long have you lived in Nashville? Exactly. 
Exactly. If you say 20 years, okay, okay, we can talk to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's so true. We have those conversations, those real conversations. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, that's right. And then this was verse 12. You should not gloat over your brother in the day of his misfortune, nor rejoice over the people of Judah in the day of their destruction, nor boast so much in the day of their trouble. So there is a sense which Jacob and Esau are brothers, and that, that means that their descendants should have still some care and concern for each other, and definitely not add to your your family enemies uh, hurt by joining in making it worse and using it for yourself and I think that's a principle that also is applicable beyond just this context of being careful it's so easy to be like oh, I'm so glad you know if, even if you think about other religions or something like that or other churches mm-hmm. I don't, I'm, I'm saying too much because I'm revealing my own <laughs> <laughs> or you know like some People, you're like, oh, I'm glad that happened to them. You know, it's yeah, yeah. And it's like how disasters show your true colors. Yeah. And I think a lot of people in the past year and a half, two years, their true colors have definitely mm-hmm. come out in the way that they yeah. responded to this crisis and this disaster with COVID. Um, you know, it's easy to be friendly and nice to people when things are nice and easy, but it's when it gets hard, that's when it's uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I once worked with this girl, and she was really mean. And one day she dropped in. And I just thought, I couldn't help. I mean, we all kind of couldn't help. She got her confidence. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I believe Jesus talked about prayer one time, and he was talking about the singer that went off over there, and the religious leader over here. Yeah. I'm uh, thankful I'm not like that. Boy, I'm glad I'm not like that old singer over there. Boy, I'm, I'm... I'm your man, and I'm of the lineage, and all of this. And uh, he said, "My best friend." And he said, "Also, pray for your enemies." So, if we are practicing that discipline, we won't be as likely to yeah, rejoice. Rejoice with those that rejoice, and mourn with those that mourn. It's a whole lot easier to feel sorry and mourn with somebody who's going through a bad thing. But when they have something wonderful happen. You know, do you want to get you as joyful as you should be for their great accomplishments or whatever? Yeah. That's when the pride and the jealousy, you know, we have to deal with it. Human side of us says, God, you said pray for our enemy, my enemy. What are you thinking? <laughs> are you kidding? I mean, he's I know. You're hoping to get one of those guys No, we are, I'm just going to go for five more minutes and get to the part that gives me chills. But, um, they, O Lord, is near for all nations. As you have done, it will be done to you. Your deeds will turn your head. So he, he does now talk about all nations. But on Mount Zion, there will be deliverance. Mount Zion is where the temple is. This is where Pentecost happens. And I'm going to jump to Pentecost stuff. Um, he basically says Israel is going to take back over all the land that they once had and were promised. Um Deliverers will go up on Mount Zion to govern the mountains of Esau, and the kingdom will be the Lord's. So this prophecy is that one day God is going to work through Israel, and he, he doesn't say to destroy. I mean, there are some really strong language, but I think given prophetic hyperbole, we can say 
you know, when he says, you will all be destroyed, that's not, that's just a rhetorical move. Uh, there's this sense in which one day Esau's descendants will be included in the kingdom. And this is what we get in uh, Acts 15, where they're talking about um, should um, Gentiles be coming into the church as Gentiles without being circumcised, food laws, all the things of Torah. And they quote from Amos, not from Obadiah, but, but it does mention Edom. So let's read, let's start with the Amos. In that day I'll restore David's fallen shelter, our parents' broken walls, restore its ruins and rebuild as it used to be, so that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all the nations that bear my name, declares the Lord who will do these things. So in Amos, it's you will possess the remnant of Edom. But look at how it's quoted in Acts 15. After this, I will David's tent. The rest of mankind may seek the Lord. Mankind. It doesn't mention Edom. It mentions man. This is where we go from how you point the word Edom. Uh, the rest of mankind may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things. So, James, this is a quote. James is talking to the Jerusalem Council about whether the Gentiles should be included. And he points to this passage, this prophecy from Amos, and he uses the translation. So this, this quotation in the New Testament is also in what we call the Septuagint. It's in the Greek translation of the Hebrew. So our English translations in Amos 9 use the Hebrew manuscripts. But the Greek manuscript of the Hebrew has it different. It, it understands Edom as Adam. And it, it says the word possess as uh, seek. Adam will seek the Lord. So I think this is an example of the preacher using whatever translation fits their point. <laughs> but also, I mean, there's a lot of things we don't, we don't know about the history behind the Hebrew manuscripts. And maybe the Greek manuscript is copying a Hebrew. That's, here's what I think, though. I'll just tell you what I think. I think Gentile, so the Septuagint was made by Jews living among Gentiles. They're living in the diaspora. And they're translating from the Hebrew into Greek. And they see this passage about possessing the remnant of Eden. But you can repoint the Hebrew and make it more positive about the Gentiles that, they, that they're living among. The Gentiles may seek the Lord. And James uses that interpretive tradition to allow you guys to be in here. I'm Goldman Jewish, so I'm not putting myself in the But uh, <laughs> the be here uh, and gets a prophecy from Amos and just redoes a few of the vow points to make it a positive message. But even if you don't repoint the Hebrew, I think what they would say is Possessing the remnant of Edom isn't just, hey, we're going to control everything. It's more of a point toward the kingdom of Jesus, which says we're all included, not by force or by military might, but we're all included through the faithfulness of Jesus, to the promises of God. I know that's... I like it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's worried what you were going to say. <laughs> it's, it's, um, yeah, I, I mean, it's consistent. 
with other messages of Christianity. Paul sought out the Romans for some specific reason because he wanted to spread the word to that group who they're not even mentioned in the Old Testament as far as mm -hmm. I know. Um, and so, why would that zeal omit someone as closely related as Eden? Yeah. Right? Does that make sense? Why would you step over your half-brother to get to the stranger? Yeah. Yeah. And we don't have time for this, but uh, I do want to mention that King Herod was Idumean. He was an Edomite. Not and, and at some point in the history, intertestamental history, the Jewish people had forced the Edomites to become Jewish, to convert. But Herod was kind of seen as non-Jewish and a pretender to be Jewish. Not really, you know. He's and he wasn't really. I mean, he he went to Rome to get the to be a proclaimed king. So he wasn't like this faithful Israelite thing, but uh, he was like, I'm the king and I'm kind of Jewish, you know, whatever on the surface. Kind of like you. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did, yeah, like Olive Garden is Italian. He, he, married, he married into a, yes, a, a, he an married, influential yes, Jewish family to yeah. kind of shore up his yeah. credentials. But it's kind of interesting that that history worked out that way, mm -hmm. that we have an Edomite as the king of Israel, but then the real king of Israel gets born at his time that he tried to kill. I mean, there's a lot of amazing connections here. How blessed are we that our God is the God of inclusion? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And boy, if he wasn't. Yeah. Because think of how uninclusive his followers tend to be already. So if we had any room to, to, to exclude, we would take advantage of it for sure, because we're already excluded with knowing all this. You know? so, yeah. All right, well, thank you very much. We covered a lot of territory, and we went over time, but thank you for your... Great. Thank yeah, you, George. Thank you.